You know, I'm, I'm, I almost wonder if we even worry about it anymore. Right? I mean, Let's we've lived hectic life. lives for so many years worked. that it's just like the new normal. You, you run home, you drop the kids' life. stuff off, you run you to another worked. activity or another you event, and you run away, or you do this, or you do that, or you say, yeah, I can pencil you in you from noon to changes. 12.30. Got to be somewhere at 12.45. And we, we just, that's just it. And, and we get used to the hecticness of life. But also, I think we would all agree that in the midst of that hecticness, we get tired, we get frustrated, we get impatient, uh, we get snarky, we get angry, our fuses get shorter, and, and it puts us in a, in a bad place, uh, emotionally and, and spiritually as well. Uh, we've talked about some keys to, to living our lives in and in a place of peace, even in the midst of some of the hectic things, we've talked about how important patience is when we deal with each other in our relationships. We've talked about forgiveness. Pastor Dick talked about Christ's forgiveness. And, and uh, I mean, you have to know how important forgiveness is in relationships, right? Uh, last week, we talked about honor. Where is the honor in our culture today? Uh, you don't have to be in public very long to see that, that honor is is not just right out there in the open anymore. And we talked about how honor is a little bit different than respect. Uh, respect is based on people's behaviors, but honor is something that we can have of another human being because they are simply created in the image of God, period. It doesn't matter how they act. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what political party they are in. They should be treated with honor. And today, I'm not going to talk about a key, but today I want to focus a little bit on on the house itself. And you see their heavenly marriage, and all of you that are not married in here are going, well, time for solitaire on my phone. No, uh, because many of you who are not married in here might be married someday if you're a younger person. Uh, many of you here, yeah, maybe you, uh, you're divorced and you're single. Marriage could be in your future. We don't know that. Maybe you're widowed. Here's the thing, the, most of the principles that we're going to talk about today in regards to marriage, and we're going to specifically focus on marriage at the very end of the message, but they, they apply honestly to any relationship that we have within, within the household, child, parent, parent, uh, parent, parent, child, parent, older, um, boss, employee, uh, relationships in general, I think they can apply to that. So I just want to encourage you, don't check out right now. Um, hang with me through the message and, and see if God doesn't teach you something. But I want to start out uh, this morning talking about the fact that the Bible, um, that there is strong support in the Scripture and definition of what marriage is, how God created it to be, and what it is. Uh, and I want to actually... Uh, use a definition that Tim Keller, who is the pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, um, I want to use his definition of marriage, and this is what it is. Listen, uh, I quote, based on a straightforward reading of biblical texts, we are defining marriage as a lifelong monogamous relationship between a man and a woman. According to the Bible, God devised marriage to reflect his saving love for us in Christ to refine our character, to create stable human community for the birth and nurture of children, and to accomplish all this by bringing the complementary sexes into an enduring whole life union. It needs to be said 
therefore, that this Christian vision for marriage is not something that can be realized by two people of the same sex. That is the unanimous view of the biblical authors, end quote. That's it. Biblically speaking, that is what marriage is. Now, again, I think of some other folks in this room that might be checking out already. Um, You may be 70-plus years old. You know that, that there is not remarriage in your future. But I want to encourage you in this, if you're watching or you're here and you're, and you're older, your prayers for these people who are married is coveted and important. You need to know this information and know these things so that you can know how to pray for those people who are younger and just starting their family. I mean, you all look at Caleb and Tia and this little one who is not quite home yet, and you think to yourself, whoa, life is going to change for them. Yes, you know that change that's coming. Pray for them. Pray for them as they work through in their relationship with this new life, this new creation of God that they are going to be raising, and that it may be difficult at times to raise. But again, many of us who have children would say it's worth the price that we paid emotionally, prayerfully, spiritually, financially. It was worth it. Definitely gifts. Now, I want to, here's some statistics about marriage. In the last 40 years, marriage health and satisfaction has been a steady, in a steady decline in America. Um, the divorce rate I read this week has actually, um, is nearly twice now what it was in 1960. However, in the, since, since 2008, the divorce rate in America has gone, has declined 18%. Okay. Now you think, wow, that's a really good thing. But let me give you the next statistic. The number of couples simply living together instead of getting married is up almost 30% since 2007. So it's not that they're divorcing less frequently, it's that they're just not even getting married. So there's no way to track the statistic of those who have lived together for a period of time and then they're living with someone else and then they're living with someone else. In 1970, 89% of all births were to married parents. Today, it's around 40%. It doesn't take statistics, however, to prove that marriage is difficult, right? It's hard. It's really hard. I can't say this for sure, but, but I bet that most of us who are married today at some point in time thought, you know what? I think I'm done. This is just too hard. I don't think I can do this anymore. Just because we think that or we experience really difficult things doesn't mean, well, yeah, okay, so we should. Now, that's what culture would say. Culture would say, look, you're not happy. You you should be happy. You deserve to be happy is what the culture screams and, and cries out to us. It's extremely difficult in our current culture, as pessimistic as it is when it comes to marriage, to stay committed to it. Fewer and fewer couples, again, are actually getting married. But that's not God's way. So let's first look at, um, number one, our culture's view of marriage. Just quickly here. It's not really that great, right? Um, this girl says to her, her boyfriend, when, when we get married, I want to share all your worries, troubles, and lighten your burdens. 
And the boy said, well, that's very kind of you, darling, but I don't have any worries or troubles yet. And she said, well, that's just because you're not married yet. <laughs> um, comedian Chris Rock says it this way, do you want to be single and lonely or married and bored? As if those are the two only two options, right? But unfortunately, it seems like there's a lot of people in our culture who have bought into those as the only options. Single and lonely or married and bored. More than half of all people living together before, more than half of all people live together before they get married in our culture today. Uh, in 1960, practically no one did. Uh, one quarter of all unmarried women between the ages of 25 and 39 are currently living with a partner, and by their late 30s, 60% will have done so. Our culture is making some assumptions to draw. Their first assumption is this. Most marriages are unhappy. I mean, it has to be true, right? If 50% of all marriages end in divorce, um, they are the ones who just finally decided they were unhappy enough, and all of the rest, they got to be unhappy too. So I'm just not going to bother with getting married. I would dispute that half are probably unhappy and miserable also. Look, do we, do we have problems and struggles? Yes, absolutely we do. Um, next, they have bought into the misinformation that living together increases the success rate. Right? Practice makes perfect or permanent, so we need to check this out, practice this. We need to shop a little bit before we make the final decision. We need to practice being married. You know, what is it going to be like to live with this person? Uh, is there anything about them that is incompatible with me? I mean, shouldn't we make sure that we have the right chemistry first before we actually commit to this lifelong thing? There's just one problem with all of that. The evidence actually shows that the divorce rate is much, much higher for those who cohabitated, who lived together before they got married than those who committed to that relationship and got married without living together. A statement that is also made often is, it's, it's just not for me, and besides, it just messes up good friendships. I, I'm guessing that a lot of us have probably heard that statement. I mean, there's so much negativity in our culture, and we joke about it a lot, like that joke that I already told at the beginning of this point. Um, I, I overheard someone say to the groom of a wedding that I was doing, well, your life is over. Again, we joke about it and we sort of crack that joke, but there's an underlying, I think, belief that that's actually happening. You know, in the old days, we used to refer to our spouse as the old ball and chain, right? I mean, this is not something, it's not a new attitude, but it's one that is becoming more pervasive in our culture. TV shows and movies, by and large, I believe, mock marriage. We have strayed off the true path of what marriage is and what it's about, and we need to start heading back before it's too late. Our youth have been given way to a new definition of marriage. It's an, an idealistic and unrealistic view of what marriage is. Uh, legal scholar John Witt Jr. says that the earlier ideal of marriage as a permanent union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection is slowly giving way to a new reality of marriage as a terminal sexual contract 
designed for the gratification of the individual parties. In other words, marriage is about my happiness, my sexual satisfaction. It's a very selfish view of marriage, and it puts so much pressure and stress on the other person in that marriage relationship. To be exactly what that other person wants them or needs them to be. I mean, if I was what Sarah needed or wanted me to be today, 26 years ago, and, and I expected her to be what I wanted her to be today, as I expected 26 years ago, uh, honestly, would we still be married? I mean, <laughs> seriously, that's the thing with expectations. We get them set, we think that's the way it is, that's the way it should be, and if they don't meet up to that, well, hey, our world, we, we live in a throwaway culture, right? It's been hard. I mean, we've done counseling, we've done, uh, we've done lots of things to wrestle through the hard things in life. I mean, that perspective, this perspective that, that you can find that perfect person that God has for you and that there's only one out there for you sets you up to fail. We can't expect life in marriage to always be happy times and bowls of cherries because it is hard work. Our culture, for the most part, has it wrong when it pertains to marriage. So let's now look at a more positive side. Let's look at God's view of marriage. What does, what does God say about marriage? I mean, it was his idea from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, it says this, But for Adam no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man for this reason. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. From the very beginning of creation, I mean, a, a dad was talking or was observing his, his son after church one Sunday, and his son was holding his side. And he's like, what's, what's wrong, Johnny? He said, oh, I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> so let's be clear, that's not how it works. Sometimes we wish it was that easy, right? It was, anyway... Um, Three things are required for marriage to work. From right there in Genesis, from the very beginning, it's leaving, cleaving, and forgiving. Now, if you are in this room and you were married and I officiated at your wedding ceremony, you've probably heard this at least once in your life. And I would, I would ask you, so how has it been? Has it been that way? Leaving, cleaving, and forgiving, how has that worked for you? It's worked, hasn't it? 
It works. It's hard. It's tough as nails. <laughs> but it works. So let's look at leaving. In our marriages, we have to leave some things behind. And maybe you've been married for 30 years in this room and you're still holding on to some of those things. Well, you know what? It might be time to get to work now. Today. There's, there's some things that you have to be willing to leave. One is the luxury of doing whatever you want whenever you want. Right? Things don't go so well when husband goes and purchases said 7mm Remington rifle without, without having a conversation with his wife. Probably all good and fine when he was single. I can hear her now. It's like it's cornflakes for you for the next rest of your life. Um, no, you belong to each other now. Uh, we have to leave the temptation to sulk, wine, or pout when we don't get our own way. I mean, some of you that have been married a long time think, yeah, I gave that up a long time ago. But maybe you're still whining and sulking and pouting. It takes work. We need to grow in our openness to communicate what's going on in our head and our heart. Look, if you, if you in your mind think the end is near and you have some sort of sense that your husband or wife has no clue, you need to clue them in. You need to have a conversation. You need to be honest. And my prayer is that that other spouse in that relationship trusts the commitment that you've each made well enough that though it might be a shock, it's something that says, hey, look, I've got to humble myself before God and my spouse because I committed to her or him until death do us part. And I'm not dead yet and she's not dead yet. And I'm not committing any felonies in the near future. So we need to wrestle through this with love, with gentleness, with a commitment to each other. We have to consider the other person before ourselves. And that is so difficult. That is so hard. I hated the night when God was working on my life for, for a week or two. We were doing this, this love dare thing as a, as a church. So some of the guys committed to, to doing this love dare thing, and God had been working on me and working on me and working on me. And, and I, we were laying in bed one night, and I leaned over to Sarah, and I said, Hey, what are you thinking about? <laughs> Innocent question, right? Her honest answer was, I was just thinking about how selfish you are. Now listen, that was, that was a divine moment. God was working on my heart. He had already told me. I was already convicted about how selfish I was because I was. I still am. But God used that moment in time. I call it a slap in the face. But it was like, wow, yes. I am. That was my response. You're right. I didn't defend myself. And, and we, I mean, we continue today to live life together. I, I, could, say, I could say right now, after 26 years, I mean, it's, I love my wife and, and life is good. That's good. Wasn't always. There were hard times. We have to leave the old way of living. That's the fourth thing that we have to leave. 
the old way of living. Again, the longer you've been married, if there's something that needs to change, the harder you're going to hold on to that thing. Leave it. You've got to leave it. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Cleaving is the second thing that God wants us to do. Be united to his wife, it says. And there is a real live spiritual battle raging in our world today, and Satan is doing everything he can to get you apart. Listen, he does everything he can to get couples together before they're married, and he does everything to get couples apart after they're married. He doesn't just throw up his hands and say, well, I give up, they're married, they're committed to each other, I'm going to go find somebody else to pastor. Oh, no. We have got to cleave to one another. We need to be aware that there's going to be a morning where you wake up and you're going to justify some of your actions or attitudes. You're going to step out of the foxhole that you and your wife were in, get in another one, and turn your weapon at her or him. Unfortunately, I think what we do then, if that's where we find ourselves, one of the things that we do is gather as many other people in the same foxhole with us to help justify our actions against that other person, our spouse, the one we committed to for the rest of our life. Sometimes we end up in those foxholes and we're in the heat of the argument or the battle or the conflict and we don't even realize it. But we have got to commit to staying in the same foxhole and fighting Yes, but fighting that out there together. We need to fight for and alongside one another, not against. That's cleaving. Leaving, cleaving, and then there's this word forgive. I mean, who likes to forgive, right? We like to keep score. We, we like to make other people pay for the hurt that they caused us or the pain or the money that they cost us. Forgiving is hard. But in our marriages, we, or and in our relationships in general, we need to forgive often. I mean, let's face it, we aren't as perfect as we think we are, right? What did Jesus say? How many times should we forgive that other person? A couple, five, six so you get tired of it. He said 70 times 7. In other words, we need to just keep forgiving. We need to keep the closet of things that, that we need to forgive and be forgiven for clean. Are you sitting here this morning and you know that somebody has something against you and it's right? You should go to them and you should ask forgiveness. And not just say, I'm sorry, which is the typical response, right? When you had children, you probably said, tell them you're sorry, right? I need to hear it, and you need to mean it. Well, the pressure. Um, No, I, I think what needs to be said is, yes, I'm sorry. But there's four more words that we need to ask. And that's, will you forgive me? Now, they may not, but that doesn't release us of the obligation of asking. And maybe they will in time, but we need to say those words. Forgive openly. 
Forgive often, forgive openly, and this is where your ego comes in. It's like, yeah, it'll just go away. If I just, if I just make better decisions, you know. No, you need to walk into the bedroom and say, I'm sorry, you were right, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Forgive often, forgive openly, and forgive completely. Psalm 103, 11, and 12 says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? To forgive completely means that we don't use previous hurts against that person in the moment. Right? I mean, you've heard the joke. I've told it many times. Husband and wife, they're in seeing the counselor, and the husband says, you know, when we ever get into an argument, my wife just gets all historical. And the counselor's like, well, don't you mean hysterical? He's like, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything I've ever done wrong for the past 20 years. we got to let it go. Because, because get this, not not forgiving another person is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It eats you up more so than it hurts that other person. Forgive openly. And then finally, forgive in God's strength. All along we've been talking about how these things are only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. We might accomplish them with sheer discipline for a time or a period, but it's, it's going to be for ulterior motives. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, when we're relying on Him, we're trusting Him, we're asking Him, we're crying out to Him to help us be patient and forgiving and to honor others and to forgive our spouses. And then, and then there's this thing about, under number two. Be not ashamed. I can see, I mean, the, Adam... Adam called her, named her woman, right? See, I think that, that God created her. There she is in her birthday suit as they both were. Adam took one look at her and went, whoa, man. <laughs> but here's the thing. When we do marriage God's way, there is 100% no shame. None. None. There was nothing for them to feel shame for. There was no sin. God had created them. God had made them physically like he wanted them to be in a way which created incredible intimacy in their relationship. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of. Now, look, we've all done things where we felt shame, right? I mean, just saying that statement may make you feel shame, but you need to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and you confess your sins to Him, the Bible says He is faithful and just and will forgive us your sins, our sins, and what? Purify us from all unrighteousness. That shame... You, if you feel shame, you need, to, you need to talk to God about that. 
because I don't believe he wants you to feel that. Now, you may feel guilty because of a bad decision you made. That's different. Talking about shame or worthlessness. No. Be not ashamed. All right, now, number three. The secret to a heavenly marriage. So our culture has this idea that marriage is just, it just, we should let it go away. That's old-fashioned, that's old hat. It doesn't really mean anything. Well, it's got to mean something. God instigated it from the very beginning of creation. So what is the secret to a heavenly marriage? Or I would also even say, A heavenly relationship in general. Well, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Corinthians. So if you hit one of those, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Paul says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Wait, weren't you just talking about marriage, Paul? However, Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This secret of marriage, the secret of marriage is actually found in what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are tied to each other. Marriage is a daily God-ordained and created working out of the gospel. It's really the only way that it will work the way that God created it to work. Like all of our other keys, it is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it's only through the work of Christ that we can be saved, and it's only through the work of Christ that our marriages can continue to be strong and grow and change. In verse 32, Paul says that it is a profound mystery, right? Lots of men would say, my wife is still that. She is a profound mystery. I just can't figure her out. Uh, I love that description right there. Profound mystery. As we think about marriage, it is indeed a mystery, but God created it. It can't be done away with. 
It's hard, yet incredibly fulfilling and amazing. It's a mystery, but it's not one that we know nothing about, for God has revealed the answer to us. He has revealed the mystery to us, just as he did with the gospel. The Greek word that Paul uses there is mysterion. And he uses it in reference to the gospel as well as marriage. He doesn't mean this is some secret information only for a few people. He means it's something that is incredible and that is revealed to us. It is mega, extraordinary, wonderful truth. The gospel. And this thing called marriage. And we can understand it and experience it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But you're thinking, but what is the secret of marriage? Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He seems to be a little schizophrenic. Like, which are you talking about? Again, salvation or marriage. It's both. It's both. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you and I both, we don't know what that entails. We just know in this moment in time, I believe that Jesus Christ died. He, he is God just like he said he is. And, and I want to surrender my life and all that is wrong in my life to him. In that moment, do I know what all of that entails for the next 50 years? Absolutely not. Does that mean in 10 years when I realize that I have this sin that I've been holding on to, that I'm not a Christian, that I'm less saved? No, it doesn't. It means that I am on this journey called the Christian life. When you stand, when you stood, some of you, on this stage, when I stood on this stage and surrendered my life to my wife, and she surrendered her life to me, did we know everything that was going to happen in the next 50 years? Heavens, no. Does that mean I was any less committed to her in this moment? No, it doesn't. But what it meant was I was committed, whatever it is, whatever God asks of me, whatever we have to wrestle through, loss of loved ones, Many of you, some of you in here have lost a child. When you wrestle and we struggle through those things and we meet those things face to face, fighting for each other, not with each other, we continue to grow in that relationship just as is true in our Christian walk with Jesus Christ. It's, you see, it's the same. What does the Bible say the church is? The bride of Christ. Husbands. Jesus died for the church. We have got to be willing to be obedient to that as he calls us to and be willing to lay our lives down for our wife, whatever that is. Now, is she always going to be right? No. Again, she may think that, but I'm trusting here, husbands and wives, that you are both going through this journey together. And as the husband is wrestling with these things, so are you, wife. And as the husband is hopefully surrendering himself, you too are surrendering yourself. And you are growing together. See, Jesus gave himself up. He laid everything down. He took upon himself the sin of the world. Everything Jesus did was for us. Men, he calls us to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Where are you in that today? Now, I pray that you don't leave this room this morning if you've been convicted in your heart today on something, that you don't somehow self-justify yourself before you get to the car. 
And it just goes on as life is normal. So two things. Have you put your faith, faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? See, the reality of our salvation becomes the reality of our marriages. When we understand the gospel, we understand, as we are able to in that moment, what a marriage relationship takes. You see, it's not a 50-50 deal. It's a 100% on both sides. Because if you think it's 50-50, you're keeping score every day. And that's no way to live. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. United together. Now, those of you who are not married and have never been married... Again, as I said, Satan will do everything he can to get you together with someone before you're married. God created sexual intimacy for a good reason. And when you enter into that before marriage, there is a connection and something that happens in your heart and deep in your soul that God intended, but not in that moment. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Through the gospel, we get both the power and the pattern for the journey of marriage. Let's not fall into the traps of our modern culture. Let's base our relationships, whether it be marriage or friendships, on the Word of God. And let's seek and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit as we live each day. And my prayer is that you experience the joy and goodness, maybe not always happiness, in your marriages and your relationships. It takes work. But don't give up. Don't give up. Keep, keep working. Rely on more and more each day on the power of the Holy Spirit, and the truth of your vows will ring true. To the very end, till death do us part, and we move on from our earthly marriage to our heavenly one. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, I, I pray that if there's been anything in the message this morning that has been confusing or that somebody has questions or they're wondering about something, I pray that they would seek someone out to, to help them. Father, I pray that, that we would be not examples of perfection to, the, to our neighbors and our family members, but example of imperfect people who are journeying through life together in this thing called marriage or these things called relationships in the commitments that we've made. Father, as we close out this series, I pray that you would, go, that you would continue to... to Grow us in the areas of selflessness and, and honor, patience, forgiveness, and of course in our marriages, our relationships.
Father, thank you. I know that, that everyone is, that's here today and is watching and listening online are here because they want to hear from you. And Father, we have. And now I pray that as we have heard, that we would then take that step of surrender to you and to those around us. May we pray for one another, for strength, for forgiveness, for stronger marriages, for humility. And now, Father, as we close with worship of our voices, the giving of our tithes and our offerings as worship, strengthen us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.